This conversation was recorded a couple of years ago now, and it is quite an interesting one in getting better acquainted terms because it's with somebody who is very different from me in terms of politics. But because of the nature of getting better acquainted, being a place where I try and listen to other people, I didn't challenge or uh, argue or whatever you'd like to say as much as I might have done in a different format. But I think that created a very interesting conversation that would not have been able to happen if I'd shut my guest down. It's also an unusual episode in that at the start, there are some technical difficulties which result in some interesting moments recorded and left in as part of the conversation. That's partly because of my commitment to the idea of capturing moments and that was all part of the moment and it's partly just to do with my general inability to remember to bring the right equipment and have the right equipment in the right place and just having to make do with what I've got at the time. Bear with it if you find sound issues problematic it really does get vastly better and more consistent after the initial interesting moments. But I just ah, I really envied no wrong word admired felt for just I was just with him I just knew how he felt he got there he got to what he wanted and it was now in front of him it's the continuation of life yeah that's basically it you've you brought up children uh, we're, looking, we're looking at two super boys and uh, you know you, you bring them up to be independent and to have their own life and that's exactly what they're doing and they brought in brought in a new life yeah your son also um, can can mumble at times. And yes, but he, yeah, all right. But he's learned over the years to talk a bit. To yeah, uh, well, it's influences the poor influence of his father. Well, yeah, his, uh, his, his his speech at his wedding. He he did he enunciated very well. Yes, pleased. Yes. Right. Well, yeah, they both did well. They did. I, I loved both of their speeches yeah. at that wedding. That was a great one. Yeah. Uh, I've talked, to, I've talked to Rich on, on Mike about his, his speech. Um, yes, so it's recording now, John. Oh, is it right? Hi, folks. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Well, today we are getting better acquainted with John. Hello, John. Hi, Dave, isn't it? Yes, right. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's yeah, my good, name. Good, good. I've got so many friends, you know. Yeah, well, absolutely. And the first question that I ask everybody on this show is, uh, how do you know me? How do I know you? Through, yeah. through our son, Richard. Through your son, Richard, yes. Through... You were at Lancaster, weren't you? I was. Yeah, and yeah, Lancaster. That's so I was at university. university with your son. Yeah, so it was through that lot. We lived together, me and Rich, uh, in the from the second. Sec- we lived oh, together in, in the second house. year. Yeah, we were in the big house. Right. Okay. Or big house. Sorry. Well, yeah. I, I think your 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 description was probably <laughs> more accurate, to be honest. It was immaculate when you left because Richard spent hours, days cleaning it, and we had to take our shoes off when we went in the house. After you left. Yeah, no, it was it was that kind of a house. It was pretty unpleasant, but it was very, uh, yeah. really uh, a lot of nice people in one place, yes, that's which was true. good good yeah. for us, yeah. but uh, probably unpleasant for our parents. 
My mum had a horrible experience one time after a party of going down to a shower absolutely covered in vomit. I was a bit hor- horrified by <laughs> I this. I know that story now. For well, not you, don't, you don't need to know it. That's, <laughs> no, not, that's, that's the story. That's the end of it. It's not a nice good. story. Yeah, right. um, so that's how we know each other. And we're here in your house in Wokingham. Yep. Yeah. Got that right. There's been lots of just people yes. saying the wrong place on yeah, emails, haven't they? Or Wistable or, or Scunthorpe. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and the first question that I ask everybody after we talk about how they know me is um, what do you do now? Now, mm-hmm. what answer do you want? The posh answer, which is, I design and uh, do yeah, I design bathrooms and kitchens, and then I install them. Right. Uh, the other answer is, I'm a white van man who goes and fixes people's things that go wrong and install kitchens and bathrooms. Okay. So whichever you answer. So would, would would that be a plumber? Then would that be? No, the... actually, I'm a chemical engineer by training. By so profession. Okay. Uh, university, got a degree in chemical engineering. Yeah. Uh, spent my time various things. Project end up project managing, and uh, then I last project was in uh, Poland. Uh, came back from there. Um, got a job with a contractor as a contractor project manager. So before I'd been a uh, a client's project manager, and the two are different, and um, that didn't work out as well as I'd hoped. So then I decided, um, okay, people now I'm over 50, people aren't looking at my CV as much, so I set up on my own, doing all the jobs that I've been telling people how to do. So, is, um, there, is there a hissing noise? What on I'm going to do is just pause it for a minute, which is not something I like to do, but I've not got my wind sock on it. And oh. it's, the wind is it's interfering. Go, go with it. my workshop if you like. No, no, no. The windsock will be fine, but I need to have it. So I'm just gonna. Uh, well, I guess I'll leave it running. Uh, then I won't have to think about re-timing it. So I'll be very quick. Right. Not how I like to start a conversation. Sorry about this. Now we have silence. Well, not silence, but I'll ramble on. And David runs up the garden. We get his wind sock. Interesting. Let somebody put it over your backside stop the noise. I know I'm being recorded, but that's me, I'm rude. Uh, so well, the other thing is of course we've got the bit of an air compressor from the chap next door who's doing some uh, car maintenance. That doesn't help. So maybe we go somewhere else in the garden. So we'll see what this happens. Right. It looks a little bit like a hedgehog I'm afraid. No that's fine, I've been rambling into the microphone so you can record it or just get rid of it if you want to. No that's good, I I'm quite just, like the idea of people talking I'm when I'm not around. Thinking, do we want to move up the garden because in the background you've got the chap's air compressor? Well, I think that's probably going to be the case in most parts of the garden. No, be um, go back but up. we could go, yeah, we can go back there if you like, yeah. Yeah, it'd be less noisy. Let's do that. <laughs> oh, well done, thank you very much uh, for grabbing that. Then you get the noise from the guy's swimming pool next door. To- well, the thing is, you can't get rid of noise yeah. if you're going to record in. Then it's nicer the least, the least amount of stuff that's distracting for people, the better, really. Oh, I, I didn't notice it there until you stopped talking about sound. Ah. So if I sit here, you sit. That's right. I'll sit there. Well, this is the thing. It's uh, finding the right spot to record. Your house has got lots of spots in it, though, to record yes, in. So that's they are. That is nice. Reasons my wife calls them, Chris. Yeah, and she's she's in inside marshalling the troops as as we speak. I, well, as I went in, they were being given all given jobs. Oh, good, good. 
I was meant to be doing that, but I got out of it by doing this interview. Yes, I, I guess me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, you're not you're not a plumber, but that's your. I'm, uh, I'm a degree qualified plumber because when at university you had um, the chemical engineers were called plumbers, uh, the civil engineers were called brickies, and the uh, mechanical engineers were called meckies, and electrical engineers were called leckies. So we all reduce it down to the trade name. Okay. So yeah, so I'm a yeah I'm a I'm a degree qualified. And when did, when did you do that degree? Was that oh when? back in 19 I graduated in 71. Right. Went to Bath University and then we were the first chemical engineers to come through. Bef- when we when I joined Bath University, I joined it shortly after it had been Harold Wilson made up six universities in six tech colleges into universities. Bath was the Bristol College of Science and Technology and upgraded to Bath Tech, Bath University of Technology. The old technology name since. Uh, another one was Lancaster, it was one of the six. I think uh, Aston, in, Aston in Birmingham was another of the six. Canterbury, uh, University of Kent in Canterbury was another one. I forget the other two, but there were six of them, Harold Wilson upgraded. And they were, so you were the first, what, chem- chemical engineer? Yeah, true chemical engineers who were to come through. In those days, they were desperate for people to join up, and I just failed my physics A-level and uh, scraped through chemistry and got a good A-level in maths. Uh, so it was an A, E and fail, or O pass. But now you need three A's to do the same course. But Bath University is up amongst the top universities. So okay. I got that. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't, have got, I wouldn't get in now. <laughs> what, what is, what's the difference between a chemical engineer, just turning my phone off onto aeroplane mode, right. um, and a normal engineer? Like, why, What's the significance of a chemical engineer, the, that part of the title? Well, it's the same significance as a mechanical, who, uh, or electrical, or civil. But basically, you're, you're concentrating on different parts of it. Uh, electrical engineer, obviously, it's anything to do with electricity, right. distribution thereof, and uh, etc. Civil engineers to do with building bridges and digging foundations. Uh, mechanical engineers to do with mechanical structures, uh, steel bridges and steel structures and things like that, in loose terms, uh, how mechanical things work. And the chemical engineer is dealing with how you process chemicals. Chemical engineering will use all those other disciplines as well, because if you build a chemical plant, you work out the processes, uh, and uh, then you need a mechanical engineer to design your structures to support your steel vessel on, and you need a material scientist or materials engineer to go and say is it the right material will it withstand pressures and things and you've got an electrical engineer who will design the whole electrical distribution for your chemical plant and that's how all the engineers work together okay so but I do so therefore in chemical engineering I think it's the best degree you can have because you're actually involved in all the disciplines so I I did bits of all those disciplines so hence I'm able to understand electrical installations and do civil bits and pieces what attracted you to engineering uh, my father was a chemical engineer, he was a self-taught one, he went to Australia for three months and I thought well if that's chemical engineering, I was about 12 then, if that's chemical engineering that's what I want to do. So actually what I wanted to do was travel and somebody else pay for it and that's exactly what I did in my life. I didn't become a true chemical engineer, it was uh, beyond me. So what? So you, you travel, like, so you, that's right, you worked, just making sure this is all alright, so you worked all over the world? Not quite all over the world unfortunately. I ended up being known to be able to go to difficult-to-working countries. Okay. Uh, but actually, I worked as a chemical engineer for Spillers Food Company. So it's chemical engineering involved in food processing, of course, because uh, you're processing food. It's, it's just chemicals, but of a quite complicated sort. So you're doing the processing of those. And from there, I actually went a year for my worked for my father-in-law in the timber trade. 
he had his own um, sawmill and I fancy working running a business I wasn't much good at it as it turned out I was there a year with him and then uh, that was my first redundancy he made me redundant and we still remained good friends and so from there I went back into industry into, into the food processing industry a company that sold food processing machinery which I understood um, and then into project management from there and I got involved with a big contract for the Soviet Union went out to Moscow for initially one year for two weeks for project management meetings and the following year for eight weeks to install the first of these production those margarine production lines so therefore on my CV is Soviet Union and from there I got, and got a job eventually uh, working for Johnson Wax where I was travelling to uh, African countries Nigeria, Ghana which were, uh, Ghana was a nice of those two and then to also Egypt and Turkey Wow um, so and then after that that was on my CV so I left there worked in the UK for Shoal Consumer Products uh, moving their factory from London up to the Midlands and uh, then I was asked back by Johnson Wax um, would I be interested in working in the Soviet Union actually going out there and living and I thought yeah great I was in Kiev so I was there the year before and the year after the Gorbachev coup which was, I think it was 1990 so I was there uh, the last year of the Soviet Union and the first year of the Commonwealth of Soviet States or something. Wow, that it was called. must have been a really interesting year to live in the Soviet Union. I mean, did you, you so you lived through the, the change? Yeah, but the, you know, same do you. I mean, the papers make a lot of it, a lot of it. We're actually there when Gorbachev was locked up for six, six days. And I wasn't particularly concerned. Chris and the boys were out with me at the time. Uh, and they, Chris was a bit concerned because um, I wasn't because I thought well if it all goes wrong the Soviets aren't going to screw up with, with foreigners because they've got to maintain their uh, maintain um, trade their, their, their trade routes yeah. and their, their, their status in the world so I wasn't worried but we were getting reports about troop movements no, I was getting reports from back home to us about troop movements and so on yeah well if you if when Margaret Thatcher was d- deposed and you lived in Aldershot which is equivalent to where I was living in the Soviet Union um, there were troop movements, so basically the press put the press distorts anything from the Soviet Union. Like we distort we distort things from the Soviet Union, and um, and the Soviets distort things from the UK. Right, works both ways, uh, to the detriment of both countries. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> you would say, good God, there's Margaret Thatcher's been deposed, and there are troop movements going on all the time in the UK. But of course, that happens anyway. Yeah, troops, are, troops are moving whatever. All the time, yeah, yeah. And there was a demonstration prior to when Gorbachev was um, uh, locked up in Kiev, and uh, I think it was at least there was two thousand people. Now, if you actually count two thousand people, that's about you count fifty people one way, forty people the other way. That's two thousand people. I think that's my maths is right. Yeah, which is I nothing, and there was police surrounding it. It was you know. Yeah, fine. So it was a big, demonstra- big demonstration. Yeah, and then when Gorbachev was released, there was an even bigger demonstration uh, in support of you know, him being released, and that, that was in the square in the centre of Kiev, and that was f- full. And the police around, there was police behind. They were armed to the teeth with lollipops because it was a very hot day. So <laughs> yeah, there, was, there was absolutely. I never worried about being in the Soviet Union. Right. People said oh, we worried about being followed. But well, if I'm being followed, I'm being looked after, aren't I? Yeah, I guess so. I yeah. mean, just don't 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. I mean, I would probably be a nervous wreck in that situation, but that probably speaks to differences in personality and maybe in background. Yeah, I'm not possibly, sure. Yeah. But I mean, if you go and break their their laws, then there's a risk of being locked up. Don't break their laws. If you don't like their laws, don't go to the country. You know. But yeah. If, so if you don't like, you know, if you object to the idea of not being able to uh, change currency wherever you like, well then don't go there. Okay. If you do change currency wherever you like, you take the risk of being caught and being uh, deported or locked up and then deported, of course. And so for, for most of your working life, you've been a project manager, would that be right to yeah, say? Yeah, I would say later life, yeah. That's um, my key so thing. Though, and there isn't, that's not really, that's kind of divorced a little bit from the, what you, from engineering, isn't it? That's no, it's not. Uh, it, well, yes and no. Uh, any project management, um, I mean, you, you get project management in finance situations. Yeah. Basically, what you're trying to do is coordinate people to, to get to a fi- get to a fixed point. You um, even get project management. I'm afraid to say in the arts. I mean, oh yeah, every, every, absolutely. That's right. Um, I'm not sure how, how artists react to project management because it is a bit a, contrary to the process sometimes. Uh, I well, think, I can yeah. well imagine because if, uh, I mean, the, 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 without damn good project managers, the Olympics wouldn't have happened. Exactly. Uh, and I would love to have been project manager. I'd love to. Um, project managed uh, the dome building. I mean, these are fantastic projects. All had to be done by date. Project manager for the dome wasn't quite up to scratch because uh, he didn't quite finish on time, which, which, no. pi- which pissed off the off the um, press because they didn't get all their freebies on, on their nights and so, so therefore they dissed the whole thing because the dome project was... You go into the exhibition, it was superb, but the press had it in for it, so they dissed it and ruined it. Yeah, and tied it down to the press. And then Absolutely. along comes O2 and, and buys it, and they make a go of it. So yeah, proving uh, that it right. could have been something right. that could Absolutely. have worked from the start. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Yeah, yeah. That was, that's, um, anyway, that's project management is. But in if you are aware of engineering and what's involved in the, in the background of the project, it makes it easier. You want to understand what's going on. Yeah, you want somebody yeah. that knows what they're managing as well as yeah. is able yeah. to manage yeah. it. Yeah, so sure. I mean, I was having to ma- in the end managing a the fi- final big project was building a. F- Factory from scratch for Pepsi Cola in northwest Poland. Uh, so that involves, but my my speciality in that is the, is the processing part, either bottling lines and so on, going in at the end. Uh, but just managing the project, you know what's got to happen. I mean, I'm not a civil engineer. I'm aware of it, uh, aware of what's required. But you get a good um, civil engineer, a project manager, who projects, who reports to you. And the project's that part of it. Richard is bringing us some coffee, which is a delightful thing. Great. Thanks, Nick. Richard. Right. <laughs> got so many children, so I get lots of names. Well, Thanks. yeah, you, you've only got two of them. It should, should, shouldn't be too hard. I'm a grandson now. And Ah, yes. Yeah, and lots of, lots, of fr- lots of Richard's friends and Nick's friends. Oh, I know. Well, I get people's names mixed up, yeah. and I don't have any children. No, and I'm old as well. Well, no, I'm not. I'm young. I'm 25. <laughs> I think mm. it, is it, so, what, so we're getting a little bit of phone uh, reception problems have you got a phone in your pocket that might be on it yeah. might be it might be a next door neighbor mind you what are we putting, putting, putting up noises yeah, yeah yeah you get like an electronic uh bit bit a bit bit a bit bit a bit bit a bit all oh, right there I'll you go. My phone it's, off, then. it's happening now so i think it is your phone it really annoyed listeners i mean i have had that it's, it's an inevitable right. thing of the modern world off, you can't then. avoid getting some of that sometimes right, that's off but uh listeners have complained occasionally but you know they're getting it for free yeah um Oh, there's no money involved in this. No, there's oh, no money. There's no money involved in it. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, I'll stop this now. It's <laughs> gracious. 
So, I mean, you worked with big organisations mm. and you worked in charge of l- hundreds of people, I guess. And you're res- overall, yeah. And you're responsible for, like, if you do manage that problem badly, then the company loses loads of money and potentially it's a dangerous site for the people to work. I mean, what was a lot of responsibility were on your shoulders? How did that? I suppose so. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I lapped it up. Yeah. Um, that's the only way I can describe it. It was just, I can remember getting that job landing the job of, of project managing this, this major project in in uh, for pepsi cola in poland and i walked on site i thought john you've made it this is what you wanted it just just felt so natural to be there and it's great that's I great loved it. when um tony blair won his election first time and he stood outside number 10 with cherry on his arm yeah and he just won it i just knew how he felt Really? Yeah, I thought, yeah, you've got to where you want to be. It's now all before you. He screwed it up, of course. I didn't. I was successful. I built the project on time. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, oh, I really envied, no, wrong word, admired, felt for just, uh, I can't think of the right word, cause, um, but I was just with him. I just knew how he felt. He got there. He got to what he wanted, and it was now in front of him. Before. Well, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. But then, so that's how you felt when you walked out into that Pepsi Cola plant. But yeah. that was the last project you managed. A major project, yeah. So, mm. you, did you feel like, what's the point in repeating the same success? No, again? no. I just know. I was. I was in Poland. I came back to the UK. Finding clients was, was difficult at that time because I, I was, I was quite liking to work back at home. But, but of course, all those in those years of working abroad health and safety things had changed considerably in the UK. I mean, uh, uh, as an example, amazingly, we never had an accident on uh, the two sites I worked on. Um, and maybe we didn't have an accident because people weren't obsessed with following rules and regulations. They were just following natural, their own safe processes. They didn't want to hurt themselves, so they weren't going to mess around. So it wasn't, they weren't having to worry about are they following the rules? Because if they're following the rules, they may be th- not thinking about their own personal safety and safety around properly. They're thinking about, am I following the rules? Um, yeah. So, you know, the health and safety is, it has been good because if you look at the figures of p- people being killed and building sites, it's dropped tremendously, being made aware. But say on this site in Poland, which wasn't, wasn't far removed from the old Soviet days, uh, there, uh, it was, yeah, we didn't have any, I had no accidents on that site in, in the Soviet Union we had one it was fortunately wasn't from a commercial point of view um, it was a contractor doing some work and that was down to the inadequacies of the Soviet engineering there uh, and they had wonderful rules and regulations which nobody followed but they all sign off against them. Right. It's <laughs> a great example. That's probably uh, the case in some ways now in, in terms of our regulations. No, I, I don't think Do so. Think it's, so? It's, it's too much, there's too, uh, too many consequences involved. Uh, a couple of examples of the Soviet Union in that respect. I was a chief engineer of this joint venture and I was responsible for safety and I had a safety officer working for me, a lady. And she came to my office nearly in tears because the guys were working on the roof and weren't following proper safety didn't have a harness and so on and they weren't taking this of her so I went down read the riot act uh, and told her to follow what this lady advised it's important very chauvinist society out in the Soviet Union 
Uh, so anyway, a few uh, couple of hours later, I saw a lady and said, "Everything all right?" She said, "Yeah, great." Because all beaming smiles, they're doing the right thing. So I go out and have a look, and there they are. Yep, on the roof. They've got their harnesses on, and they've got the rope attached to their harnesses, but the rope's not attached anywhere else. So it made no difference. But they followed the rules. I harness with a rope, but the rope wasn't attached anywhere. Right. So she was happy. They were happy. Everything was carrying on. No problem. Nobody fell off a roof. Everything was fine. So that was an example of ticking off the boxes, signing off. Everybody's happy. The other example in the Soviet Union was I thought was funny. That there's very strong environmental processes out there, saving the environment. You look at all their documents. It's absolutely top notch. But here we were making cleaning products, and we weren't allowed as is right to put waste down the drains they would you had to test the quality of the drain water looking for certain chemicals in there and uh, an inspector would come and inspect your books to see what your results were and the chemist who was in charge of the testing the, the water uh, had two books one of which he put down the results which were all well just within the limits and he signed that the director of the company signed that and the inspector came along and signed that and went off with his free products uh, sample. In his book, well, the, actual, the actual analysis of the results, they were about 10 times, 15, 20 times over what was actually allowed. Wow. That was the real result. Uh, hence, you can see why there's always complaints about the oil refiners in Siberia and so on, the pollution there. And that's what it's all about. So, I mean... But it's, uh, no doubt it's changed now, but that was the Soviet days. I guess it has changed a lot. But, so... Yeah. Did you feel... in charge? Well, yeah, that's a very good point as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, things change and things stay the, mm-hmm. stay the same, don't they, yeah. at the same time? Yeah. I mean, we were bad. Go back a few years in our country. You know, we were. Pretty, I'm sure we were pretty terrible. But I mean, look at the number of kids that were killed in, being killed in the um, industry. They, yeah. we, we imply rules, they get ignored eventually. They get, they, over many years, it gets um, put right. Well, hopefully that's yeah. the case. That's, that's certainly the hope, I guess. So when you had that job, was it? did you find it a stressful job? I mean, it seems to me, like, f- from my point of view, I get stressed just managing myself in the morning, <laughs> you know? I suppose, it was, I suppose it was stressful. I wouldn't admit to it. <laughs> People around me would say I was stressed, but I didn't feel stressed. <laughs> I felt absolutely fine. There was nothing problem at all. And that, <laughs> everything went very well, uh, despite the fact I was told people were frightened of me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess you were funny. you were in a position of authority. You would have oh, been. Yeah. I mean, did you did you have a a, a cold facade? I guess, or a, a, you know, a, did you did you an aloof facade? I yes. would say. I okay. had. I mean, there were English people over there as well, but I tend. I mean, I always, I always wore a suit and tie to site. Um, did you socialise with the with the people who you were managing? Yeah, I did, but um, it's interesting. Uh, it's something you, you look back on and realise that um, it apply, I'm sure it must apply to all managers they want to be loved and they want to socialise but the people they want to socialise with are looking up and he's the boss isn't he it's similar to uh, the situation old and young people you know, I'm young, I'm 25 years old um, same age as yourself 25 years old <laughs> you're my equal, laugh and joke but when it comes down to it, uh, and I see it myself, I don't see any difference between me and yourself and all your friends and more Richard's friends, but you obviously look up, look at me as being that old geezer who's Richard's dad. Um, yeah, okay, you can talk to him and so on, but he's still that old geezer you're looking up to because I know that because I joined Rotary once 
and um, they all looked old, all looked the same. Yes, they all looked like my father. But in fact, uh, they were the same age as me. You know, I, the same age as my father was when he died. So, you know, I'm looking at these people. I'm 25. I haven't met these people before, so I'm looking at these people who are, you know, I'm looking at them. They all look like my father looked. Um, so they all look old. Well, it I don't, I don't, I didn't sort of quite equate with them as well, because <laughs> although they're my own age. Well, that's that, that's yeah, a very so. strange thing, anyway. I mean, it's like I, I keep seeing pictures of all my friends now with their children, mm. and uh, it, it, I think it's something about the fashion as well. It's gone slightly back to the seventies in in terms of the fashion we've got. Yeah. So I look at these pictures, yeah. and I sort of think they look like the pictures I've from of our parents you know yeah. when, when, we, when yeah. we when we were babies but it's yeah. not it's it's our yeah. it's my contemporaries yeah. it does it's, get very strange it is strange uh, I was going to say I forgot what it was now but um, oh yeah I went met up with a guys from, I was at university with that was about 10 years ago in a reunion in, in Bath I'm going to meet in, the, in a hotel in Bath I shot ahead of Chris walked into the hotel and looking around couldn't see them walked out again and Chris was behind me and said they were in there, so I went back in, and they then had seen me, and now we stood up, and I, and for a second they looked old. Within, once we got talking again, they were they looked exactly the same as yeah. when I left them when we were twenty-one. No, I mean they, I find they, that they now hadn't, you know, hadn't aged. They even you know, you stop back and look. Yeah, they had grey hair or not so much hair, but once you stop doing that and you're talking to your friends, they are the twenty-one-year-olds that I was at university with. They, had, they hadn't aged at all. So twenty-five is, is twenty-five the age you feel? Is that the age you feel yeah. like you stuck at? Because yeah. people talk about like, I, I think, yeah, I think, I think, I, yeah, I think I'm probably, I think I'm hoping that I'm going to stick at thirty. That'll be the age I'm always oh, going to feel. No, no. Twenty-five is a good I, age. I preferred, I prefer thirty to any of the other ages I've been so far. Oh so. yeah, uh, yeah. Twenty-five is when we, I got married. Ah uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I was twenty-five and thirty is a good age. Cause I think that's no. When how old was I? 3032 when Richard was born, something like that. So, I mean, Richard's around that age when he's had his first born as yeah, well. Yeah, same, so same age as myself, yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Interesting. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was your kind of... Well, was was the story... Well, what's the story of how you came to own a pianola recently? What's oh, the story that, behind that? It's that simple. When I was a sort of boy of about eight or nine, I used to go and see my, visit my grandparents in Maiden Taunton. They had a pianola in the lounge and I used to love playing it and there's one particular role um, called Alpine Storm which has um, thunder and so on I used to play that over and over again bash away just bash away the pedal, pedals as fast as hard as I could now come this noise and now and again I get told oh you've had enough John you know or play something else which are all boring um, I just love the piano and that piano was, was promised to me when they moved house and when they did move house my parents weren't in a position either space wise to have it or to afford to move it so it disappeared, and I always loved pianolas. Many years ago, we were up in Cambridge, and there's a pianola company in Cambridge or something. I went to visit it, looked at pianolas, and all these rolls, massive rolls on the wall, uh, on the shelves, and there was Alpine Storm, so I bought it. So I now had a piano roll, Alpine Storm, and I played the piano, I played the role when I was there, but and it all brought back the memories. Uh, but so I had the piano roll, I know pianola, and that was years ago. I've always promised myself one, and then, Eventually, built up to so much of pressure. I actually bought this, bought one on eBay for 100 quid. Needed, needed doing over. That was my big interest now. Not just to have one, but to because it's uh, 
uh, you know, to, to take it apart and rebuild it, restore it. I love doing those things. It's mechanical, dead simple for me. That's right. And, and the pianola is an interesting thing. It's, mm. it's, it, it, it makes music, but it's more of an engineering no, it, piece than it is an instrument. It reproduces music. It doesn't make yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Was, it's more like a gramophone or it something It is. Like it was that. the early form to that. So that's so, why in the 1920s it died a death. Because, and so the, the way it yeah. works is that you pedal... You, you, you have a roll with perforated roll, which is, uh, represents all the notes, and the length of the notes and the rest of it, and you're pedalling, which creates a vacuum, and when the air is sucked through the holes, the registration by it causes the, the note to, uh, the, the key to, uh, yeah, the keys to go down. So really, the piano. what you determine is the tempo, the speed that it's played at? Uh, you, yeah, but you have controls which control the speed, you have other controls which, uh, depending on the sophistication of the piano roll, uh, you've got ways of I get a bit it gets a bit technical musically and I'm not so good but sustain things is that right? I don't know what that means but sustain um, is a word that gets used in music so. yeah right so you can sustain one half of the roll or the other half of the notes over the low notes or the high notes I think and then there's general sustaining overall as well um, so but that's that's just the the simpler piano there is a more complicated one called uh, duo art which they attempted to actually interpret the way that pianists play the music. Um, there was another a comp- a competitor's product called Ampico, I think. These are going beyond me. There's a guy called Julian Dwyer, who actually lives in work. He was an absolute expert on, uh, on pianos. He's, he's you know, great to listen to. What he doesn't know about pianos isn't worth knowing. Um, but uh, So th- you can actually get... There is a, a p- two piano rolls, I think, of, of Gershwin playing Rhapsody in Blue. He played the piano, and there's somebody then recording this on not a, on on their whatever recording type they had at the time. They didn't have tape recorders then, but they were then able to record and put onto the rolls and, you, and do it via this machine called a Duo Art, which is a sophisticated pianola, to actually in, uh, get the nuances of the player. So his style, his style is, the piece. is in there as well, okay. and that's part of the, the, the perforations. Uh, and they they do that by um, normal. The current rolls are 88 notes, but they actually with duo art you drop off. Uh, I think it's 82 notes. So four of the notes holes each end to each end are used f- as part of the controls of the duo art to give the nuance of how it how the sa- how it sounds. So you follow the red line along. The red line is the speed. The red line is the speed. And the other one is the quietness or. So how, that's so the, the green dotted line is to indicate how you should play the pedals. Yeah. And the red line you sort of follow around like it's a cursor. Yeah. It's a little bit like a, a computer, an, an old-fashioned computer game moving yeah. along yeah, yeah. the yeah. And, um, thing along the line. Something uh, you can hear is the spooling of the. Yeah. Now you've got here. You know things called snake bites, which um, when it says. No, I can't see. Yeah, okay. We come up. Um, it comes to, to normal. Okay, so and it says the normal. word normal. So you let go, the, let go of these two. When it, when this comes up, it says solo. You then pull these two slightly across, three little which then knobs. brings these two notches will come into play and sustain either this side or that side, depending on the notches are. Okay. That's a sustained pedal. And I could see, I could see how the notches corresponded to the notes as well as it was going on. I, I could see that. So they sort of. Sound of stand dancing in the background. Yeah. That's not my that's not my favourite role. What's your have you got your favourite? Yeah, You're gonna put it on. Very tough kind of roll 
Well, let me know when you're playing your problem. Oh, excellent. That's the sound of the spooling. Was it? What are they called? Ribbon, I guess. Piano roll. You're rolling it. You're winding it back up. So you have to do this at the end of each time. You have to wind up the roll, and it looks like a scroll when it's all round up. And just bang the end of it, and then you tighten it up the roll. So it's uh, nice and tight on the roll. Ready for the next time. Put it back in its box. Here's the back. Here's one. Here's the back. Going on for 100 years old, these rolls. Oh, oh, wow. And you got them from eBay? Uh, these came off here. Yeah, I've got a box load of them there. They have to be in there. It's the only one I have only bought one roll for its name, and that's the Alpine Storm. Which is what we're going to play now. Yeah, but the other ones just came. Oh. When I bought the piano, they supplied a couple of few rolls of it. So he puts the scroll in and then he kind of hooks the end around a kind of bronze other reel, like a tape reel, I guess. Take that reel. Now I put it into play. He switches a, a switch. It says to run to about 50. Start off with solo, so these two little levers go across. Okay. It's quiet, which is down here. You start off. So that one you can actually, like a disclavia, put the roll in and um, suddenly you can switch on and then it just plays. And, and it died out, you said, in the 20s? About the 20s, I suppose. It, it, they tried to keep it going. Um, I think some more were made after the war, but it, I mean, pianos are not exactly cheap, and these are things were certainly not cheap. Um, but 1920s, the record player was coming in, so yeah, why so bother with it? Yeah, you know, that was easier. Yeah, that's right. So, so and, and so, right, so you bought a pianola from oh, eBay and yeah. you've got a roll of your favourite thing yeah, and from when you were a child. That's right, it's sort of played, play. and of course you can then buy loads of rolls on, on, on eBay very cheaply. Um, a job lots of people want to get rid of. So I got lots and lots of rolls, about 700 rolls, which is nothing on something like Juden Dwyer, and it's got several thousand of them. He actually, this guy actually cuts his own rolls as well, so you can get more modern music. And uh, yeah, so. It's in the garage still, waiting to be read it, being brought up to proper condition. But in the meantime, I go to a place in Wales to, to look at, um, get some parts to uh, to do the renovation. And this guy renovates pianos, and there's this lovely baby ground he renovated. It looks, it looked lovely. 
and it played all right. What seemed to my eyes played all right. And I was playing on it, and Chris saw me, saw my beaming smile, so she bought that for me for my 60th birthday. Now that's the one that actually works. In the meantime, on eBay, I see a push-up pianola. I don't think it's actually a pianola because that, that's a trade name. Like Hoover is a trade name for right. vacuum cleaning. Vacuum. And it's a push-up, uh, and it looked fantastic. And it had on it Hickey's of Reading. Now, Hickey's of Reading is a music shop, piano music shop in Reading, which is still going. Now, this this uh, push-up would have come in around the turn of the century, about 1900s, because push-ups were then going out of fashion. Then. So the push-up is all the pianola action, pianola action you know, putting the rolls in, pressing the pedals, and what it has on the back of it, there are, there are uh, fingers. So you push this machine up to your piano, and these fingers will play the keys of your regular piano. So, ah, so it's so, like you, it's an attachment for a piano. Yeah, it is. Like so, hey, yeah, you push it up, so, so it looks like a pianola. Um, so regular, so they then develop these, develop the mechanism, and put them into a piano. So the piano would play as a piano, or play as a piano, do both the same, do one or the other. So the fact that you, in fact you can play, a, if you wanted to, you could play a piano roll and play the keys at the same time. So add your own bit to it if you want to. And is this? But that's, that's in my workshop, waiting for innovation as well. It doesn't work at all. So you've got you've got two pianolas that you're doing up, or two pianola-like things that you're doing up, and you've got one that works. Uh, well, no. I'm not doing up. I want to do up. Ah, right. <laughs> That's the key. Do, do you aspire to do up? Yeah, okay. they're there waiting to be done up. The but, and you've got a pianola that you actually have that plays. Yep. yep. So I mean, what? I mean, and do you get great. Do you get joy from playing that? Yeah. Oh, it's superb. Because I can't play any musical instrument. Me old pint stool. That's great. As a child, I used to. Oh, good song now. Uh, as a child, I used to play that. You know, just play at the top, at the fast speed, bang it out very loud, and nothing of trying to, not putting any. I wasn't trying to put any emphasis in it at all when I was a child. Well, it's got. It looks like rain as it's coming down in front of you yeah. again. It's, if it's got, about uh, rain, that's really nice. Yeah. I printed out. Um, I found it. I found it on the internet. Uh, the guy, comes or something like that. Um, the guy who wrote it. I've actually got the score for it. And it tells you a bit about the story. What was that a meadow? Uh, a young lad out in the meadow. And his two loves comes along. And it's like pouring down with rain. Ah. That's the story behind it. Wow, well. Eight, about 1890 the music was written. Learned Mr. That. Kunkel. K-U-N-K-E-L. Who wrote it? And did you know the story when yeah, you were a child? You no, didn't? Just to me. It was the Alpine Storm, which was belted out nice and loud. And all the thunderstorms in it. And now you you press the pedals with a little bit more yeah, uh, precision. That's right, do it with more care to it. Oh. It's totally frustrating. I can read music. I can read French. I don't understand French. Um, but I can read music. I know that that's a trotchet and that's a semi-quaver and that goes up and that goes down, etc. I can look at that and I cannot get a tune from that. I cannot look at it and say, and I know that goes up and down, etc. But I unable to get a tune in my mind from looking at those notes totally frustrating I was with a guy who's down in Exeter who's got a, a, a massive he's got a, a great organ he's put into his house uh, 2,000 organ pipes which he imported from America and it plays roles so you can either play the organ properly or we can play on these roles um, I was with him and he teaches music he actually taught me I was able to read the music and play uh, hardly superbly but play um, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony you know how that tune goes. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's um, one of my favourite. And uh, I was able to actually play the note, look at the t- look at the score, 
and play the notes because I knew they went up and down. Once, once he told me where middle C was and what middle C was on the score in front of me, I was able with one finger to get the tune. That was quite uh, quite exciting for me to actually do that. But um, I just don't know where middle C is. Somewhere in the middle of the piano, isn't it? But yeah, well, I, don't ask me. I have to I have to write the uh, letters onto a keyboard I think that, when well, I'm playing a part. Yeah, well, we did that. We have a piano in the garage, which is a family piano, which is total wreck. But there has got a you know a beat where it is on the keys. Yeah, that's all I can do. I managed to get I managed to get a tune from that by looking at the kids, uh, the children's you know, teach teach yourself piano for three year olds and get a tune from that case. See, I can't really read but, music. I mean, I understand some of the theory behind it. I can't mm. really read music, but I can hear music, so... Oh, you're lucky. I can work out how to play something. Oh, I can't. Yeah. But I uh, don't have any of the ability to look, look at a sheet and that tells yeah. me anything. I have to, like... Mm. It takes me forever. Like, if, yeah. you, if, you, if, if I had, uh, you know, 20 weeks, I could work out how to play Beethoven like, and keep on learning it by route. But, yeah. Uh, well, that's fine. <laughs> it wouldn't be something I would enjoy doing. And... No. Uh, I'm really bad at remembering it as mm. well, so it mm. would take me ages to get it yeah. stuck in my mind. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, so I, I just say that to, I love music, but the fact I can't sing in tune, I certainly can't play, and I wouldn't know if a note was out of tune or not. Is I suppose out of tune doesn't worry me too much. It might worry Sarah, of course. That's my daughter-in-law. Um, yeah. And uh, but I, I, I haven't haven't got a. You know, I, I couldn't recognise a, a piano being out of tune. The, the piano that we have got, well, it's, you know, the Baby Grand, we did have it retune it. And it did actually sound better after that. Um, so obviously, I can, tell, you, I can tell before and after. But <laughs> not, I think whether you can tell some, if something's in tune or not, you can tell when you don't like the sound that you're hearing. So that'll, oh, sometimes that'll be out of tune. Well, you've got, to be, you've got to... Well, I always like the sound I'm hearing, so <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know if it's out of tune. Uh, well, I guess yeah. so. Mm. So it's the music that is it the music that appeals to you then, in terms of like what what appeals? Well, the thing the fascination with the pianola is it an engineering fascination or a musical fascination? It's um, everything. It's everything. It is the fascination of the mechanical parts of it because it means I, you know, I I'm fascinated by how somebody thinks his idea up and. Um, there's a chance of me taking it apart and seeing how it works and rebuilding it to back into perfection as it was when it first appeared on the marketplace. Um, and the other one is it's a way I can actually get music out of a musical piece of music equipment. Yeah. Because you can um, be a pianolist, not a pianola, uh, not a pianist, but a pianolist, and you can put your ex- feeling and expressions into playing a piano role. You, know, you can. Uh, I went on a course, um, a master class in uh, being a pianolist um, interesting meeting the people there Most, a lot of it was above my head and I don't think I'd bother to do it because they were, what his, their idea was is taking the original score and marking up the piano roll and you've got to imagine a piano roll is several I don't know how many, 100 foot long right. <laughs> and going through this and marking this that score right up so that you're then playing it and looking at what it, and, and transposing from the score, the score, and marking where the bars are and where they actually get louder and so on. All the, all the marks that are on the original score, you put onto your piano roll so that you know uh, how to control it, how to control the speed or the pe- volume. Pedal fast or slow or gentle. Well, no, you, 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 the speed is not to do with how fast you pedal. Okay. That's there's another control for that. There's a, there's a speed control, so you can pedal fast and pedal slowly. It would be the same speed, whatever speed you set it on. What you're doing, you can actually put a beat into the thing by extra press on the pedal, or you can press 
gently to get it quieter or press really hard and fast to get it louder okay so that's that's the controls and then you have these little other little controls so is it got is it electronically controlled then? no no no, no it's, so it's, no, it's all, you personally so it like the a pedal piano. that's doing it it's yeah. you you controlling the pedal oh your fingers as well no no no, no. levers on it you're controlling levers and, and controlling the, the foot the foot pedal and that's the problem because i this is strange i often think about this i can't seem to get my left foot to do differently from my right foot can't do that which of course is nonsense because I can do it because I drive a car. Yeah, but it's really hard to develop those kind yeah. of skills. So, uh, yeah, singing um, and playing guitar at the same time is mm. something I find very hard to do. Yeah. To have separating yeah. your mind into two separate spaces <laughs> is really hard. When you watch uh, an organist, um, I, I love absolutely love the Wurlitzer organ, fantastic yeah. piece of kit. Um, and uh, I was up at a place in Norfolk where they got Wurlitzers, and they got lots of like, fairground uh, organs as well. Uh, this Washington guy in the Wurlitzer, I mean, his feet are going 19 to the dozen, his hands and his arms and hands are going 19 to the dozen, pulling all these stops. I mean, he must have his brain divided up to a multi, a million different <laughs> spots to be able to achieve that. Yeah, sure. Incredible. Incredible Although I guess in terms of when you were when you were man- managing projects, I guess you're you're having to split your brain into thinking about lots of different things at the same time. I suppose so. Yeah, I guess so. Yes, but you don't think about that. Yeah. You've got me. You've you're just got, getting on with it. You don't you've got staff around you as yeah. well who are reporting back to you about what the project is. Different people have different areas to keep an eye on, but you're just making sure that you're bringing that all in together and yeah. making sure that something isn't being forgotten about or dropped down and something, you know, something's not happening. You, you've got to be... I suppose it's like conducting a, an orchestra, uh, being a project manager, where you're making sure it all happens together and you're getting that, you know... The, the, yeah, the, it all, it all comes the piece together. of music comes together yeah, because of the, that's what you've what got you're, you're trying, so you can't allow the obvious to go to sleep yeah. or not perform as you should do because sure. it ruins the whole piece so likewise you can't afford the guy who's organising uh, the electrical transformers to come in you can't let him forget about them being by a certain date because he have got the transformers there, you can't connect with electricity you can't do some of the pre-testing you know, and all this sort of thing no sure, absolutely uh, and uh, things like that you know. and so w- I mean, in terms of your career, when we were talking about that, you said, you know, that one of the reasons, I guess, that you turned your back on project managing for that time was that red tape and stuff in this country was making it... No, no, well, is that right? no, I would have liked to have carried on, but um, it just my CV wasn't being... Uh, I wasn't being asked for interview. OK. That was all. I'd go back, I'd go back to it today. Would you? Oh, yeah. I enjoyed corporate life. I enjoyed... And what I'm doing now, of course, you're doing everything... You know, putting in a kitchen is down totally d- down to you and I'd never had that situation before where it's totally down to you in a way because if you if you have uh, a problem or as they used to call it in Pepsi an opportunity right, you've got a team around you okay guys you know this is the issue we've got on the table let's have it what ideas have you got to get, get around it um, whereas, whereas now it's all now, down to you if it ain't going right it's uh, Look around. Hey, it's me. I got nobody to discuss it with. I got it entirely on my own, which is more responsibility. Even though it's you know we're talking six thousand quid as opposed to thirty million pounds, it's uh, a harder thing, you know. Well, you're directly dealing with the clients, like the person that you're working for is a person whose house you're working for, and you you might see, you might know that they've got children, and you might know the setup of that. So, if you get it done on time, it affects Mm. them in a different way than it does when you don't see the people face to face. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So one could argue it's perhaps more stressful than running a a big project. 
Do you do you think you like stress though? Because I mean, you. I have no jobs idea. Have been quite stressful. I've, I I enjoy adrenaline. I'm a, perhaps an adrenaline junkie. Uh, is, is adrenaline and stress the same thing? No idea. I think stress creates adrenaline. So, I, yeah. but I don't know if it isn't sort of a, stress is when it gets kind of toxic, doesn't it? Stress is when it isn't enjoyable. I guess so. I so maybe you're not into stress; you're just into perhaps the enjoyment. I'm into, I get stressful, but I don't know. I'm not. Uh, it's, it's the other people around me who aren't enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. I'm all right, Jack. Yeah, you're just yeah. Okay, no, fair yeah. enough. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Probably now is the time to <laughs> to bite the bullet, I guess. Mm. So I think you might be. I don't know. What would you describe yourself politically as? Like, how would you describe your politics? Um, Genghis Khan's a wimp. <laughs> uh, but not, that, that's not, obviously, not quite, not that's quite. obviously a humorous statement. But I mean, you know, if um, uh, at one time when Margaret Thatcher was first on on the first prime minister, I thought she was great, uh, and then she went doolally because this lady's not for turning, and nothing works in a straight line. Um, I would suggest that uh, she is the cause of some of the ills we have in this country now of, of the selfishness we have um, it was very much in her time the, 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 the me only society uh, which I don't go along with I think, is it John Major? Um, I can't remember now which one it was but conservatism with a nice view uh, I think play. That somebody, was somebody's. compassionate conservatism was what Ian Duncan Smith said. I think. Maybe it's that. But John Major was back to basics. Was his big thing. It's all. It's sim. I mean, um, I think where the politics are now, middle ground. So there isn't much to choose between um, with the New Labour, as they used to be called, and they call themselves now. Was New Labour's kind of old Labour because it's now late. That's what's left. Uh, and conservatism, and uh, I, I, I prefer realistic conservatism because taking account of human nature uh, and ensuring that human nature doesn't uh, is controlled to an extent because let's face it human nature is about selfishness Uh, human nature down to basics is about survival Um, but I prefer so you want somewhere of of controlling that, of that, controlling that basic human nature, but allowing people to have freedom to do. I, I think I get really annoyed. I, um, I was talking to somebody once about health service and private health, and he absolutely went absolutely ballistic about there being private health. Why people should pay to jump the queue? They're not paying to jump the queue. They're paying to go in a different queue, and by going a different queue, they are coming out of the queue. And allowing somebody behind them to move up one, and they go and they're paying extra to go in this other queue. Nobody's suffering by going another queue at all. This, that, and by going another queue, we have free choice, and a doctor has a free choice of where he practices. He can practice in the private medicine or, or national health. Then you get the stupid argument: well, the state's paid for his education, have paid him to be a doctor, therefore he should work for national health. Bollocks. I was paid to be an engineer. I don't go work for the state as an engineer. I came, I did myself, I worked privately as an engineer. So, but you do believe in the National Health Service? Absolutely. I mean, from it's what you're saying, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. But I also have the choice of, if I have, I have the choice of not of 
coming out of the National Health and going privately. If I want to, if I want to do something within my own time, choosing who I go to, there's a risk in that, because the guy you might choose to go to might be a load of rubbish. Likewise, National Health could be a load of rubbish. But I've been twice the National Health Service has saved me. Um, and I think National Health is brilliant. It's also saved, looked after Richard and Sarah's uh, newborn Stanley. Absolutely. So it's it's fantastic. When you look at, when you read, uh, and, and I'd only read, I don't not experience myself in America, um, where in that la- last shooting of, uh, I think it was at the uh, Batman or something, yeah, the thing, there were people there that were injured who haven't got the money to look after themselves. To be, you know, so they haven't got health insurance, and there they they've been shot. Who pays for their medication? Nobody's paying, and they're they're, they're stuffed. They're having to find thousands of pounds to be put back together. Uh, just, you know, I find it totally amazing. And then, uh, how can you live in a society like that? Who would prepare to leave people who've been shot up by some idiot who, because of their incredible lax gun laws, or they're actually gun laws and kind of about the same. Um, you know, you wouldn't hear heard of in this country. But all those people in Dum in um, Dumblane. Yeah, Dumblane. I mean, they were all looked after. Yeah. National Health. Nobody thought about the cost. True. But so, what sort of society is America that allows that? But then, aren't they just a slightly more advanced uh, along the lines of the free market than we are? Aren't they just a little bit? No, they're a bit around? behind. They're way, way behind. They're backward nation, Americans. But, they, but they, they claim to be forward, but they're not backward. I know what you're saying, but I mean, we. We are going their way. Unfortunately, are we are becoming the 50, 51st state of America, but uh, I mean, we are our health service is under attack to a certain extent at the moment. In what way? Well, in terms of private business getting involved in it more and more, and so there will be more pain. No, you're getting confused. Point. Okay, you're tell totally me how I'm confused. confused. I'm totally confused. There's nothing wrong in private institutions running the health service. Okay, what would be wrong if we then, as uh, it wasn't open to us, that's where it breaks down. It doesn't matter who runs it. Uh, private enterprise can run a health service. They can run various dust cleaner, dustbins and the rest of it. As long as it is available to you to use without any, having to put your hand in your pocket. Doesn't okay. matter. And if, because the government isn't, it's pre-uses at running things. You know, it's being shown over and over again. I mean, you've got hospitals which can't even run into budgets because... Uh, uh, nobody there really understands controlling budgets. You look at look. I mean, go way back before your time to the British Leyland, our national car, you know, the car company we had. Yep. That was nationalised, um, and Red Volvo and on destroyed it all. It could be with lousy management as well. It is lousy management, not to do with unions. Just weren't controlled. It was, to me, it's, it's lousy management, um, and. And so the state took under control, tried to run it, total failure. And they tried to put in a South African guy to, to run it, Margaret Thatcher, with this little, little fellow in. Uh, and the whole thing just fell down out of the pump. We no longer have an individual car. We have a big car industry, in actual fact, but we don't have any national, don't have any, you know, Ford's American, Opel's, General Motors. So, and all these companies are all foreign companies, they don't have a British uh, car company apart from the individual ones like Morgan, like the ones out in Morgan and so on, these small niche companies, but, but we do have a big big car industry still, and billions of pounds. Well, but is it right in saying that you're not I mean, 
So you're obviously you're for business and you're for corporate kind of involvement, and you're for a you're you're for the welfare state to a certain extent. You seem to be. I mean, not no, no, not a certain extent. Absolutely, full, fully, fully for the okay. welfare state. So you're fully for the welfare state, but your welfare state can be a privatised one. It could be no. It can be run by run it, by it's private owned business. by the government, right? Yeah. And the go- it's the government uses our money, mm-hmm. and that's where people think talking about government's money. And that's what the idiots who are claiming what you know who who claim all these uh, uh, false benefits, benefits, whether it's false or not, thinking it's the government's money. It's not. The government's redistributing our money. Yeah. And that's what people forget. It's not the government's money. It's the money that we are asking the government to distribute, and you and you vote to how they will do it. So they're distributing the money to the best way of running it and if they if they run it I mean, look at you look at a lot of civil service things that are run uh, MOD for example their procurement diabolical because the people there civil servants are not being brought up properly to run things so if you can privatise it to people who are have got a profit motive an incentive to do things well if they do it badly they lose the job and they lose their own job and don't get any money so you give somebody an incentive to do something well then that happens. I think the better. question comes down to competition, though. And when when private business gets involved in 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 government uh, situations, they're not necessarily in competition with anybody. Often, it's just one company that, that moves in, and then they but don't they have do. any incentive to do it right. They do because really of the tasty money coming in from the no, government. Yeah, but only. But if they don't do it right, they're going to lose a job. It takes a bit of time, but they're still got the risk of losing it. And we are fine. You know, they do find these situations are happening. That. Um, the, the company that was supposed to set up the um, security for the Olympics, they eventually came clean and said we can't cope with it, uh, and the services st- stepped in, which is great, and, um, and they've lost a lot of money over it. They've had to pay a lot of money back to the government. Sure. So, so do you and think there's a reputation, so somebody else, would, somebody else would come along and do it better than they. And so do you think of is 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 the reason you're kind of a compassionate conservative, if you like? Is that kind of coming from a point of view of the system is a self-cleaning uh, mechanism that eventually things come right, that things may go wrong for a bit, but things will always come right again. Someone can rip us off for a bit. Rupert Murdoch can ex- essentially own our media, but eventually that will get cleaned up. Is that how? Sort of that way, yeah. It takes, sometimes it takes a bit of time. And I, like um, the, the, what Bob Murdoch's taken a bit of time. The banks have now come a cropper. Um, it's annoying to see that how much money we've put into rescue banks, but then that I don't know enough about economics. And I wonder, quite know more um, how the, how uh, the banks have such a grip on what's going on that they need that we'll bail out the banks, but not bail out other people. Let other people go to the wall, but not let banks go to the wall. Uh, and I just find it amazing that um, how bankers and uh, yeah, other people in high positions. Who, you know, governments who just can screw up completely and then get a, a damn good, good payout. Well, that is uh, hard to. And I stomach. find that, and that is hard. I find that very hard to stomach with my with my um, conservative views. Yeah, uh, they they shouldn't be. They should be. Well, actually, that's something I think up. we can all agree on. Yeah. Like I think whatever mm. whatever your political mm. colours, mm. can't everyone can agree that that people mm. be you know. Hmm. Ripping off people is 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 wrong. You know, it surely. is wrong, and it, government also. I mean, fine. We, we're talking about that people are earning very high salaries, but it should also apply to the people lower down the the pay scale. And I get, you know, these people that jump on the bandwagon and, and go to the um, uh, 
oh, forget that, you think dismissal, dismissal, the uh, wrongful dismissal court route, knowing that if they push wrongful dismissal, the company says, I'll sell it, we'll pay them a few thousand pounds because it's cheaper than them actually fighting them. Because, you know, saying they, they know that they got nothing, they don't need grounds to do it, to, to pursue it. But they, they say, okay, well, we'll pay them off a few thousand. They accept the few thousand, it's cheaper than going down the court route. And that, that annoys me because uh, these people need to be sacked because they're incompetent in what they're doing, shouldn't be there causing trouble. I, you know, I've been in industry and seen these people. Um, and uh, and I think I think the film, oh, one of the American films, basically, Spacey. Spacey. Who was head Do you mean of, American Beauty? Yeah, where he so, gets shot in the end. Yes, that's the one. Spoiler alert. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, it was an old film, so they, people must know the ending by now. But yeah. that I think is epitomised when he gets is about to be fired. He sits in front of the bloke and says, uh, "You know, I want de- I want this payoff. If you don't give me this payoff, I'm going to say you're, you know, you've been trying to, to sexually molest me." You know, so he gets a decent payoff. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> to me it sums up. <laughs> yeah, it sums up the whole system in a way. So you su- you support the basis, the existence of this system, but you acknowledge that a lot of people are exploiting it, and you of think that exploits everything. Don't do you they? think that can ever be got rid of, or is that no, just inevitable? No, you can't. People exploit whatever's going on. And that's to do with human nature. Absolutely. Classic. And really, that was just another noise to me. Um, When all these politicians were had up for for figuring their expenses, um, all they were doing were applying the rules, following the rules that were there, handing their expenses in to be signed off. They were signed off because they followed the rules. And then suddenly people got upset. Now, the people who who don't follow the rules actually blatantly cheat. Finally, should be caught. Cool. But people are stretching, you know, stretching things. And a well-known lady um, was going on about how these discussing these politicians were. Uh, yes, you know, pressing it. And then uh, her partner was going to move jobs, and he had up to uh, five thousand pounds towards moving. And the immediate reaction was, "Oh, how can we make sure we get them? You know, pay, buy this or get that, and blah, that get up to the five thousand so, you know, one view was, aren't these politicians terrible at, you know, trying to fill, you know, the expense out to, to take advantage of what was available to them? And the other minute, saying, oh, that's right, and doing exactly as, exactly the same attitude, but as these politicians were. Well, I think probably and I think everybody... That, that is hypocrisy. And that's typical of everybody. But everybody might be inclined to fiddle, but isn't it like in terms of what people find so disgusting about the politician situation um, or about corporate uh, similar things going on in corporate uh, organisations yeah is that the people have such high salaries already that that's when it seems like interesting do you you regard 60 odd thousand pound a year as a high salary for a politician yeah I, well, I'm 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 I'm, not your, on, I'm on, not your best case scenario. If you're on ten thousand pound a year, then I it's a high. I would have a maximum wage as well as a minimum wage. Yeah, I, we, I, 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 I'm uh, I'm that yeah. like I'd be quite happy to politician for that money. I must it. say, but it is a pretty demand, uh, potentially demanding job. But they don't the, not intellectually. I wouldn't suggest. But their salary means that they don't need anything more. That, that it's just kind of desire from it's just you know it's that extra it's it's what feels really greedy rather than feels like somebody trying to get a bit more and they're already sort of yeah. haven't got very much like if if somebody if somebody um if someone is homeless and they steal this you know a loaf of bread to go or lay miserables on us yeah. right yeah that's it's no, very sure. easy it's easier to to, to say but well that is- that that's not greed that's need and then a little bit more than that it becomes 
a little bit more ambiguous but when you get really really rich and you're still grabbing for more that does kind of make it I hard I don't regard um, MPs at 60 odd thousand a year as being really rich but they're not just getting 60 odd thousand a year are they they've got other jobs that they're getting money from in, from, from other they've got yeah. other income streams already incomes, yeah um, if you look at you know the members of parliament Run, are there running in the country? Better commas. Yeah. Uh, you can't see what I'm doing on, the, on this recording. Yeah. Uh, and um, reporting into, I mean, there's there's prime minister on what 130,000 a year or thereabouts. I forgot what the figures are now, but that sort of level. I don't see how you can have time to do anything else, you know, any other, earn any other money. Potentially, it's got so. I mean, obviously, Blair's on millions now, but. Um, he, there he is, head of the government, head of the country in theory of running the government, and he's got people indirectly reporting into him, earning civil servants earning far more than that. Seems odd. Yeah, doesn't it? Oh yeah, that's right. And, 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 the and, and this, yeah, but that's socialism. I don't believe in that. Well, I know. But you but are worth what you can sell yourself for. Okay. But okay, I mean, I'm as we've already said off mic. I mean, I'm not a socialist, although I, no, no. I I have sympathies in that area, and many of my best friends and family members are socialists. But I said that was actually moron. But yeah, yeah, yeah you, you think that you shouldn't be able to be friends with someone if you're a socialist, which I, I find <laughs> right. a strange characterization of socialism. But um, and don't get me wrong, I can be highly critical of socialism. But but you know what we're really what it's about. I guess one thing is it's about trying to be fairer with the resources we have. So you're saying that, that the resources are all out there equally for anyone and how, how much you grasp of it is up to you. But you do How much think, you earn of it. Okay, but isn't that... Yeah, okay, so you have to, you have to earn that, that gaining of that, mm. those resources. Mm. But you have this sort of sidebar for compassionate, the compassionate part of what you're saying, that there mm. should always be something for people who have nothing. Yes. Yeah? yeah. So, but... If those people who have nothing, and there's people who have a lot, mm. surely if you redistribute that wealth, you create a fairer playing field. Doesn't what you missed out on right. in that is human nature. Well, you've got to factor that in. If you, okay, communism is brilliant. Can it's I? a fantastic system. Communism, mm. Christianity is fantastic, but what it doesn't take account of is human nature. Right. Communism only works. No, it never worked. But it, you know, everybody was paid the same, like how they were, but everybody was paid the same. So, you know, and, and my friends, communist friends, would say, uh, uh, they pretend to pay us, therefore we pretend to work. And that's why the Soviet Union was like it was. Right. Oh, terrible society. I know what you mean, but Lovely I don't people. think communism was. I mean, my but my view of the Soviet Union is that that was not really a fair. That wasn't actually communism. So communism wasn't. is still an ideal system, as, yeah, you, as you say, and it's very hard, as you say, to Impossible. apply it to reality. But because you've got human factor. Yeah, and I do agree with human mm. nature. And when I have conversations, yeah. I've had conversations on this show with Marxists mm. about where I think we, you have to acknowledge human nature mm. and that, that you can't... So, so my systems, inevitably, if I was to put a system in place as an anarchist, it's not much of a system, but I think that decentralization small groups mean people are responsible to each other yeah. big groups inevitably means people aren't but i would say about human nature though is whilst we may be related 
very very closely in DNA to chimpanzees which are violent uh, have wars essentially mm. Mm. rape they're terrible yeah. things it's you know not terrible I mean yeah. they're, they're animals but we're related Aren't to we? them in DNA <laughs> exactly we are but we're also but, related to bonobos now bonobos well, have pretty much a common it's well they are a, a great ape oh, but, okay. but they are closest um, creatures to they're closer to us than we are to a fox no than, than a dog is to a fox mm. or a, an Indian elephant is to an African All elephant right. we're closer to them in DNA mm. And they have um, a compassionate, uh, you know, they, 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 I mean, they all, I mean, the downside or the good side is they, ha they all have sex with each other all the time. Mm. Yeah. But through that, no responsibility, kind of, terrible. Through that kind of yeah. free love mm. pair bonding, you know, they're pretty much a hippie monkey. They, they have, <laughs> they have um, no, no conflicts in the way that mm. chimpanzees do or the way that human beings do. Mm. Um, and I think that when we talk about human nature, we have to acknowledge that we also have the capacity to be bonobo we also have the capacity to look out for our tribe to yeah. look out you know you love your family uh, you've invited me to your house and that is a very bonobo thing to do if you like it's, it's a very, no, we're not no, gonna we're a, not gonna that's, that's a chris and john kingdom well, thing. but you know but you know, but you know what i mean it's a very nice thing this is a very nice occasion i'm very pleased to be here but but the delighted to have you here Dave. yeah no well i but 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 yeah. But so when we're talking about human nature, the, the, the best in us is also there in nature. Mm. Um, we can go to that, mm. you know, and we do. We choose to all the time go to the, to the mm. more positive side of these things. Mm. So, but I mean, isn't human nature exacerbated, if you like this? If, if greed is human nature, isn't that exacerbated by a unfair system? Like, how do you feel about class? How do you feel about the, the, the dirty words sometimes these days of class? If we all class is only in the mind of the of a working class. Is it? Yeah, it doesn't exist. Any criticism of working class people look at class, and they want to maintain their working class because I'm hard done by. You don't think the upper classes no. see class? No, they don't. I'm quite. Um, they don't. I mean, you know, I'm from a middle class background, probably lower middle class. You're probably from a lower middle class background originally. Am I right? I to say? So if you want to put, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, and now you're middle class, but you're not upper well, class. Sort of. But you're not upper class. No, you're you born know, into so you that, don't aren't you? Know, you know, if, if you're born into that, you you are taught that people it. below you, you, they don't work. But you don't. They don't they're not they working, do. are they? They do. Well, some of them do, but but some people are born into richness. They haven't worked for that witness no. richness. So why do they deserve that? If you're talking about a, a society where everyone deserves gets what they deserve, gets what they work for, the people many rich people don't work for that that wealth. When I when Chris and I snuff it, yeah, our two boys. Shall I? Shall I then? all that we own should we give it back give it to the state or can I give it to our sons well, and daughter-in-laws and grandchildren I'm what not I'm not it? too keen on the state you know actually myself mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't okay but what should I do with that state? well what they was telling me they, they don't because they haven't worked for it they can't have it well I don't think that your family as individuals should uh, be uh, the only people to redistribute their wealth but I do think that uh, c collectively as a society we should look at who has not got what they need and who has got what they need now what? how you oh, how you okay. swap that Define, wealth about you probably you give on, to charity defining need yes absolutely do you need a colour television set uh, I, I don't think so no no do you but I'm quite harsh about do you need a smart stuff, you know? car do you need uh, latest trainers do you need a great big sofa you change once a year. Good question. I mean, DFS would be horrified of me saying this because uh, they rely upon these people getting a new sofa. Well, every are, year. are all of these there. things sustainable, John? I mean, the problem is we're running out of oil. You know, yeah. so cars may have to change what they do. I mean, even if we have to discover no, new technologies, to we will get discover around, new technology. Man's that's incredible. That's what people think. Yeah. Man's incredible. 
Um, there'll be two solutions to the problem. One is, which I hope is one that happens, that man will find a, an, another source of fuel. We, you know, we've got that big thing in the sky shining down on us at the moment. It's a great, it's a great source of energy. Um, and hopefully they will find some sort of renewable energy. Um, OK, oil's renewable, but we've got to wait a couple of hundred million years for it to be renewed. Um, and it's not likely to be because we're not allowing the trees to fall down and, and you know, natural things to take over. So the alternative is that it's, it's going to be a massive war, and the majority of people wiped out, and the people that are left live in small groups, and the rest of the world will go to hang, and two million years will pass, we get more oil, but these few people that are left will live on the resources that, that are around. Yeah, I so mean, that's the two solutions. I know. The, the, the second of the two solutions tends to be the one that I think is more likely and also right. gives yeah. me a bit of hope, really, in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, I know this is something that I find a bit weird to mm. feel hope about something so disastrous, but mm. I sort of think, well, maybe those small communities may yeah, may I, come up with some answers well, we that we're not got currently. I mean, the only you know, reason that people politics. are concerned about the environment is not altruistically, but because, because I mean, nature can... T- nature, one better word can control the whole thing right yeah, the sources run out we all die off man yeah. dies off humans aren't important and, to the world and um, the world then makes another two or three million years and it up it comes and it all starts yeah. all over again um, so nature will sort things out sure but we're con- but why man is is concerned about the environment because he's worried about his personal survival yeah. and, how, and that's all it is about that's so right it's um, yeah that's philosophy and so which of those two options do you think is more likely? That we'll f- Do you think war or, or that we'll find some solutions? Um, the way it's going at the moment, it's going to be war, isn't it? Started by the Americans. Well, I hope not. I hope not, but I, you can just see it. Uh, as far as America's... You just see it all the time. As far as America's, so nobody else exists. And that's the horrible thing. But, uh, I find it frightening. I got my brother who lives in America, and I got some good American friends. Me but, too. I, but as a society, you just see the society is totally inward-looking. Um, it, it's only concerned with itself, not with any, not with other people. It doesn't affect them. It won't be involved. Syria doesn't. Syria doesn't affect but them. Not being involved. Do you truly think we're any different as a society that we're not inward-looking and only concerned with ourselves? Um, well, we're too small now to be inward-looking. There's not much to look inward to. So we look out at the so things we, look we out, want. Yeah. We look out to America because they speak a similar language, not the same, unfortunately. Um, and we look to Europe, which actually culturally is closer to us than America is culturally. Uh, and, yeah, we should be... We, you know, one time, you know, going back, as Margaret Thatcher, Thatcher keeps on reminding, reminding us in those days that we, we rule the world. We used to rule the world, but we were like... America wants to be. America didn't like us to ruin war, so they destroyed, made sure we lost our, com- our, uh, our countries that we were ruling. Every empire falls, though, you know. Yeah, oh, it is, that's very true, but America made sure we'd lost our empire because it didn't like us having an empire. Um, so they made sure we'd lost that. That was a condition of giving help to us in the Second World War. This is my view on history. That's your yeah, I think, I think you read the books. So that's your view, yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, yeah, I do find it of great concern. Um, you know, it's it's all inward, inward pointing all the time. Um, Americans just look at what's good for America, nothing else. Don't think beyond that. Well, I mean, when 9/11 happened, absolute terrible thing to happen. All those thousand, those thousand people being us being killed. They didn't ask the question why. They said, "Who do we go and get?" Didn't ask why. Why did it happen? Well, this is something we agree. I mean, pretty much. They should have asked the question: Why did it happen? That, that why did people hate us? And what are we doing wrong? 
front. Somebody to go and do that to us. Well, I agree with that, but then I would all, I would say that we're the same. I mean, seven seven. What what did we do when seven seven happened? We looked for who did it, and we didn't say, well, who were these people, and why were they doing it, and why did we have our citizens wanting to to blow up our buses? Um, so, but, yeah. so I mean, I would agree. I would oh, agree so with you. Were the 51st state of America. Well, well, that's you know, that's, a, that's and, and had there's a lot of that, that, truth in that statement. Yeah. So if we drop if we drop being the 51st state of America and become part of Europe, that's probably part of not go as far as Euro, and I think we go too. We take too much from Europe. I don't like the fact we lo- we're losing sovereignty. Um, that's over the top. I voted for joining Europe back in 1970-something, and it was a big vote. We all had a referendum on it. Yeah. I was all for it as being a common marketplace, but it's gone beyond that. Well, fair enough. It's so stupid rules, like uh, yeah, there's a rule about motorcyclists must do an emergency stop at 50, uh, 50 kilometres per hour. 50 kilometres an hour is 32 miles per hour. We can't do more than 30 on our roads, so what they do is they build special test centres where people on motorcycles can drive to do this test at 32 or 50 kilometres per hour. Instead of saying, stuff you, we do 30, we're going to do 30, which they should have done. And so that's what our rule is, that's how we run our country. Yeah. That's, and you need to sort that bit out, that's what we're going to do. And our motorcycle letters are that. Well, Carry on as before. I'm not, I mean, I'm so not. That's, that I find annoying, I just find this, this losing sovereignty. Uh, stupid rules coming in. Well, I'm not pro-Europe. I mean, because I'm I'm not for big, big systems. I'm for smaller, okay. smaller yeah. groups. So that's where I can buy. I do quite like the uh, having you know human rights be part of our laws. So there, there, there are pluses to, to the Europe thing. I like the fact that you don't have to have a passport. Well, you can have you know you only, you can easily move between different. That countries. is part of what I voted that's for. That's how it should be. That's how I voted for. The whole world. Yeah, that's, it should be the whole world. Yeah, I, that's what I voted for. It's common market. Um, you know, that's that's why I voted for freedom of moving around and freedom mm-hmm. of exchanging goods, but not all the sea petty laws that are coming in from America. Some unelected body creating laws. Absolutely, is, um, that's a complicated thing. I mean, that's yeah, that that's is. A, I mean, that's a, a, a very big topic. Yeah. But rather than sort of go on to that, before I wrap it up, mm. so we the, the listeners will have heard actually. I think your your gra- oh, there he is actually. Your, your your grandson in the background. I mean, yeah. so you've recently become a grand a grandfather. Yes, great. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is it is it what what what's you know what's what's good about it? What 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 is there to recommend to people about being a grandfather? Oh, great! You can play with the children hand and back. <laughs> <laughs> it's the continuation of life. Yeah. That's basically it. You've, you've brought up children. Uh, we're looking at two super boys, and. Uh, you know, you, you bring them up to be independent and to have their own life, and that's exactly what they're doing. And they brought in, brought in a new life. Yeah, um, it's, it's so exciting to see that. You know, you say four months now, and it, it just oh, it's it's um, well, very emotional. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. I mean, yeah. and it's a it's a, gr- a grandson. The first firstborn is a man. Does that matter? Would that have mattered? Does that matter? As long as a healthy no. Exactly. It, I mean, I can jokingly say, yeah, it matters. As, uh, uh, Stanley is is the heir to the throne coming down from my grandfather kingdom um, so he would, he's the eldest he followed down the line true true line of inheritance from my from my grandfather I don't know his his father but my grandfather kingdom so my father was the second son his elder brother had a son so in theory it goes down there but he hasn't and I don't believe in this modern thing about women. Um, so that my my <laughs> uncle, his eldest his uh, his eldest son, 
is married but has got daughters, so it stops. Right. So now it goes tracks back to my father, the second one, and I'm the eldest, um, <laughs> and therefore it goes to me, and Richard's the eldest, goes to Richard and Stanley, and now it's going to Stanley. When, so when Stanley gets all the, you know, the You're not, the you're estates, not the kings, kingdom. though, are you? Just, you just got a kingdom in your name. <laughs> you, you don't have to have this hereditary hereditary Everybody, Everybody's a king, or, should be, or queen. It should be in their own lives. Yeah, but that's, well, that's well. That's a nice, a nice idea yeah. to leave it on. I mean, the last thing I ask people is, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? I do, only love, love and uh, uh, compassion. Yeah. Well, there's some great, there's there's some some great things to to yeah. plug. Absolutely. I mean, you're probably the, the closest to what you could call a Tory that I've managed to get on the show. I'm always trying to get get, get people who are very different from my politics on the show, but uh, and you're the, the closest I've got to a kind of the, the, the right. Yeah. Um, and it's lovely that you're plugging compassion. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, love. Yeah, absolutely. The Olympics summed it all up, I think. Olympics are brilliant. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um, yeah, and on, on that note, I mean, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you, John. Thanks. And nice uh, talking to you, Dave. And I, th- I think of you as, uh, you know, at the beginning you said, you know, when you employees find it hard to, to socialise with their bosses and you can see that as a generational thing uh, as well. I know what you mean. You know, the other day um, Jen was saying to me, stop calling people you know not your age actually but younger than your age old people uh, or mm. real adults I think that's what I was saying real adults <laughs> and she's like you know you can't say that anymore you're 30 years old you've got to stop saying that and it's true I should stop saying that because mm. but I mean I, I see you as, a, as an equal I mean uh, probably you all, you've got more wisdom uh, you've also I'm older you know, like wisdom well you've, you've had more experience <laughs> yes but I think you are still yeah. a, you know we're equals in the, in the respect that respect that we can talk to each other you know and, and, and try and see where yeah. each other are coming from and yeah. that's really what it's all about I think everybody should be equal yeah well there you go absolutely yeah, yeah. almost a communist uh, statement there to end with John oh no that's something else <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the last thing I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience goodbye audience whoever you might be who are the, who are the audience by the way well they're Did all different uh, well they're, they're from all over the, they're all over the world oh right there's a global audience oh dear at the moment it's around about 300 on average listen right. to a show but some oh, of them go up then. to yeah. 2000 and yeah. some of them go down to sort of 150 Depends how how many people right, choo- choose the hashtags. You know, that I, that I, you know, depends yeah. how many people are interested in hearing about the euro and p- pianolas. Oh right, okay. <laughs> Fine, I, I, <laughs> but anyway, I got some great Soviet friends, by the way. <laughs> Put that one in. <laughs> right, well, I'll, I'll definitely leave that in. So yeah. goodbye, everybody. Goodbye and thanks. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. Thank you for doing it. As I said at the start, that was two years ago. Things are different now. For example, John has two grandchildren rather than just one. So congratulations, John, for becoming a grandfather for the second time, this time to a girl. So hopefully, maybe his attitude about hereditary male lines may alter a little bit as he helps a young woman to come into this world and experience it. Who knows? Apologies for this episode coming out a little bit late. My goodness, you wouldn't believe the amount of editing I've been doing for my Resonance FM show. So that's going to start up again on Friday the 31st at 11am on Resonance 104.4 FM and online on their website. So these are edits of episodes that I picked out as highlights from the last few years of Getting Better Acquainted and re-edited into an hour-long format. So check that out 
Fridays 11am, repeated Tuesdays at 2am. And next week on the podcast will be the third episode of The Kingdom Season. We've had Richard, we've had his father John. Next week, it's Nick, Richard's younger brother, John's second son. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.